Last week, I ended the evening with a poem from Derek Walcott that I'd like to start the evening tonight with. So it was the other half of last week that I didn't get to. The poem was entitled, Love After Love. The time will come when with elation you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. So I like the last part of this poem where it says, peel your own image from the mirror. A feast on your life. And what I like about this is that the feeling of feasting on your life is is feasting on your on the the very fact of your existence, the very presentness that you are. And when we connect, when any of us connects with the presentness that we are, the the um, you could say pure consciousness that we are, the, the Buddha that we are, the wakefulness that we are. There are many hidden benefits to that. You may experience it as a feast, but what also emanates, flows naturally from that feasting on your life, that sense of being present and immediate. What flows naturally as it's stated in the sutras, as you can know it from your own experience, what flows naturally is a what the Buddha called metta, a boundless, uh, non-sentimental goodwill, a, a, a wide, uh, universal loving-kindness that is the natural expression of of, of our sense of presentness, a natural expression of the nature of our hearts and minds. What he also said flows naturally from this feast of presence, this feast of really connecting with the nature of ourselves, not the idea of ourselves, not the story about ourselves, but with that, after we've peeled off the image, what f- flows naturally as we are open, when that flow of consciousness connects with pain, which is inevitable in this life, it, it flows as compassion. When it meets with the, the joys of life, it, it flows with a sense of great uh, uh, altruistic or sympathetic joy, capacity to really join with another's good fortune. 
And it also expresses itself naturally when we are in that sense of feasting on our lives, the fullness of our lives. It expresses itself as an unshakable balance of heart and mind that can meet the joys and the sorrows of our life with a lot less reactivity and a lot more understanding that things are as they are, whether we like them or not. That we have joys, we have sorrows, we have highs, we have lows. We have all the so-called eight worldly dharmas in our life. Everybody meets them. When we're present and awake, we understand that there is in this life praise and blame. There is in this life gain and loss. There is fame and there's shame. And there's pleasure and pain. Did I say that already? Anyway. Pleasure and pain. Gain and loss. Fame and shame. Praise and blame. Thank you. <laughs> These lists. <laughs> They're fun to remember, but I often miss a little bit. So this is what flows naturally when we are awake and feasting on our life. But as we all know, we are not in the habit of feasting on our life. We're not in the habit of pulling our image, all the images and the stories from the mirror all the love letters and all the dramas, we're not used to that. We're used to living in the world of drama. We're used to being in the, in the narrow vortex of our preoccupations, of our personal, our personal stories. So consequently, we may have glimpses of being able to feast in our lives and knowing that these qualities are uh, within us, the quality of compassion and kindness and joy and equanimity. But because, these, because we spend so much time in reactivity, in, uh, in the innocent but defensive response to so many stresses in our lives, because we are so often in the, in the defensive stress, our habit from a, a lack of understanding, a lack of, uh, of, um, of wisdom, of just from confusion, our strategy, our common strategy to deal with what uh, faces us in our life is to, uh, is to blame others, to threaten others, to judge ourselves, to, um, to get very frustrated, to get very angry. I noticed today, in spite of all of my practice, I jumped all over somebody who was... I was crossing a crosswalk in the Marina District, and someone was looking at where the cars were, but weren't looking, wasn't looking where the humans were. And they were only half looking at where the cars were, because the other half of them was texting as they made a turn right into the, my, my crosswalk. And I said, turn your goddamn phone off, <laughs> or put your phone down. <laughs> and, and there may be an appropriateness to a kind of fierce, direct uh, command to protect uh, people's lives by being somewhat conscious. But because of the buildup of stress or f 
just the various stresses of life, my own uh, innocent defenses of blame and demand and all the ways that, uh, that I um, sometimes deal with the vulnerability of my situation uh, uh, in, a, in an ignorant way, I sometimes I get angry. And I fly off. I've done it a few times in the last weeks, in spite of all my practice. (laughs) It just comes with being human. And so, as a human being, as one who knows that the intrinsic nature of my heart is love, is the capacity to respond with joy and compassion and understanding and to be able to actually meet a situation like that in a more skillful way where I'm not adding to the stress that's already enough in, in my world, even though I know all that, I still fall into delusion. Therefore, the Buddha offered a support for all of us, a a reminder, a way of, in a very formal way and informal way, reminding ourselves of this unconditional capacity that we have. Poetry is wonderful to remind us of our, our beautiful hearts, of, our, of what we experience when we connect with ourselves. But the Buddha offered very specific practices to remind us of these universal qualities that abide in our hearts. The one practice that most of you have heard about, but some of you haven't, is the the formal practice of metta, of loving-kindness. And when I think of metta, I think of it as a, very much like the poem from Galway Canal that I read quite a lot here. It's called St. Francis and the Sow. I'll just read the first few lines of it starts with, the bud stands for all things, even those things that don't flower. For everything flowers from within of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on the brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely, until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. I especially tonight, I'm enjoying this line, and retell it in words and in touch. It is lovely. Now, we use words a lot in our life. And what I found from doing a lot of this practice over the years is that one of the most, uh, maybe the most useful use of the conceptual mind is to evoke or remind us of our loveliness, is to point us back to these unconditional qualities that so benefit us in our lives and help to create an environment of goodwill rather than one of of, uh, greed, hatred, and ignorance. The Buddha offered the the words of loving-kindness. The basic traditional phrases were, may I feel safe and protected from inner and outer harm. So wishing that for ourselves. Instead of, I wish that person would die, whatever it is we're doing. May may you be safe and protected from inner and outer harm. This is one of the first lines. May I feel healthy and strong. 
and at least accept the limitations of my body graciously. May I feel happy and peaceful. Notice what happens when you hear the words happy and peaceful. For those of you who who are really tight right now, you'll hate to hear those words. In fact, when I first started doing metta practice, I just it made me almost want to hurt somebody. <laughs> metta schmetta. <laughs> May I be happy and peaceful. May I feel safe and protected. May I feel healthy and strong. May I have ease in my life. May I have a sense of well-being. Just notice what happens when you hear the words well-being, when you hear the words peace, when you hear the words safety, when you hear the word protected. These are all things that all of us long for, naturally. We all want to feel safe in this world. We all want to feel loved. We all want to feel uh, healthy and strong. by using our conceptual mind to wish this for ourselves to begin with and then wish this for others given that we really don't exist alone apart from each other. In fact, if we give it to ourselves, we actually give it to others. We give it to others, we're giving it to ourselves. The gift is always both to the giver and the receiver. Uh, But when we do this, we actually begin to incline our hearts toward remembering these beautiful qualities that we have within ourselves, this quality of goodwill. I think especially, and the reason I'm talking about this tonight is that partly in the context of what many people here are doing, a hundred days of practice, of daily life practice, committing to practice Uh, certain practice periods during the day and a way of living during these hundred days that's very meditative or very mindful. I think it's especially useful to have as part of your practice some gesture both verbally or conceptually and physically. Again, that line from the poem. And retell it in words and in touch. It is lovely until it flowers again from within. Very often, all that we really need in a moment of stress, in a moment of starting to really fire off at somebody, is to stop and to touch our hearts and to soothe ourselves. And it seems that the more that we attribute our our discomfort, the more I attribute my irritation and my anger toward what someone else did, the more I, I disconnect from myself the more I become much more um, insecure, much more dependent on how people show up for my sense of well-being. And so by stopping and saying, in, in words and in touch, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I come home to myself right now. Some gesture of loving kindness. I think it's especially helpful because often what we're really needing when we get upset is not for the other person to be different than the way they are or the world to be different. What we're needing is to come back to ourselves. We're needing to reconnect. We're never angry at someone or something because of what they do. 
We're angry because it so throws us off of our seat. It so throws us into, into dis-ease and discontent and frustration and forgetfulness that that really frustrates us that we're so at the effect of other people's actions. So what's really needed in what some form is to come, come back to ourselves. I've found it very helpful. This is my, uh, I think my default, my tried and true practice of loving kindness is not just in words, but it's in a physical gesture, rubbing my heart. So I, I want to invite all of you right now. It may seem very California, but, <laughs> but do it anyway. In fact, we have to live up to our reputation here. <laughs> and I often like to add to the, the physical gesture the famous words of Joseph Goldstein, the famous Joseph Goldstein mantra, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. As I fill myself up with loving kindness, as I give my heart back to itself, to the stranger who has loved me all my life, whom I've ignored for another, who knows me by heart, as I give my heart back to itself, I become not just someone who is hungry to get love and to get the world to cooperate with my need for it to be the way I envision it to be. I become a transmitter of love. I become someone who can offer love, offer giving. Someone was sharing today a poem, and I don't know the words, but I got the spirit of it, and so I'll pass this on, and maybe next week or some future week I'll share the actual words with you. It's a, from a Hafiz poem where he says, all of us, when you look into the eyes of every every person, their eyes say, love me, love me, love me, love me. And it, essentially the poem says, wouldn't it be great if you were the, if you were the one with the moon eyes and, the, and the, the words dripping from your mouth or something of, of, of giving, being the one who gives that love. We don't really have to wait. Until, we're, we're only a split second away from being filled enough to be able to be that person who gives love. And in fact, we give ourselves love by offering it. So the Buddha recommended that we start with ourselves and give our heart back to itself and wish ourselves well and in touch. He didn't say the touch part, that's more California. But he did say the gesture, the verbal gesture, may I be happy and not only is this a practice that reawakens that feeling of goodwill, that feeling of friendliness, that feeling of inner sufficiency, and the feeling of being home, but it also strengthens a sense of presence. It gives focus to our to our uh, our minds. It brings us really into the into the vital present. It brings a sense of harmony to our minds and bodies. So there's a lot of fruits to the practice itself, but it also paves the way, you might say, to be able to offer uh, to others as part of the practice every day to be that person who shares love. And I think over the, I've shared this probably a hundred times over the years, 
and I think I even did a few weeks ago, but my primary practice when I first moved to San Francisco was loving-kindness practice because I found the city to be a little slightly uh, unfriendly. Not, I, maybe I just even talked about this last week. People didn't really look at each other on the street, and, and I said, this is such an unfriendly place, and this is kind of urban contraction. And I know people, you have to guard yourself a little bit in the city. You can't just be... You have to know when to shut down and when to open up. But I found it to be a little bit unsettling. And so I started to do what I had learned in my own practice that I had done more formally. I started to do it on the street and in my car, saying, wishing people well. May you be happy. May you be happy. And on the street. And I, I like the version that it's fun, to, it's fun to say it. It's fun to feel it. I would say, I love you. 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 And I literally fell in love with the, the street scene on 24th Street. I used to live in, here in Noe Valley, in the Noe Valley Mission area on Dolores Street. And then I'd do all my shopping on 24th Street. 24th Street turned into a love fest. People still didn't look me in the eye. But I, I felt a kinship with them. Why? Because I was reawakening, reconnecting with that unconditional quality that, that is the very nature of our hearts, which is goodwill. It's, an, it's not something you have to create. When you're doing metta practice, you're not revving up love. You're just reminding yourself of it. You're, you're touching that channel. You're just reawakening that channel. And it's another reminder, as the Buddha spoke of very often that you you uh, experience your present life is the fruit of what you have practiced. Your future life is the fruit of what you practice now. As Padmasambhava put it, if you want to understand your past, look at your present experience. If you want to understand your future, look at your present action. It's it's that reminder that whatever we practice every day, formally, informally, knowingly or unknowingly, whatever our habits of body, speech, and mind leave imprints. They, they, uh, they bear fruit. If you plant the seed of love, you get more love. You plant the seed of, of hatred, ill will, screaming at the drivers, you get very you get very tight you get very frustrated I, the reverberation the last time a week ago when i yelled at someone it stayed with me for almost a week the regret the shame the the feeling of this is this is not very skillful and just the the immediate effect and the the fact that i acted in that way is because i had habituated that long before I knew the, the, the fruits of um, that kind of action. And it still pops up every now and then, a lot less often, I'll say. A lot more often, at least as I feel the impulse to go after somebody, I'll notice, oh, this is anger. This is frustration. This is blaming. This is demanding. This is dependency. And I'll stop. I'll let it become the cause or the reminder to come back to myself, to simply be mindful, and then hopefully to bring a little kindness to myself because I'm needing it right then. We all do.
So whether it's under your breath or or um, or in your under your breath on the street or in your car, to fill your mind with the practice planting the seed of loving kindness will produce will produce the result of much more um, much more tenderness of heart a widening circle of love because our circle of affection tends to be very much for the people who are nearest and dearest to us we tend to think of love this this unlimited quality, we tend to think of it as in very short supply, is very limited, and has to be selectively sent to only the people who we care most about. And we deprive ourselves of a circle of affection, circle of caring, that helps us feel very much at home in what otherwise feels like a very hostile world, as the, as the city of San Francisco did to me when I first moved here. So the quality of loving-kindness, this universal quality, is, is meant to ultimately uh, be equally shared with all beings everywhere. And when you, use, when you actually exercise this love muscle of inclining toward awakening this in your heart, you will become clear about where that circle of love starts and ends where it you'll be certain about the people who it's very easy to feel loving kindness toward that's the other thing I saw is that even though I had this feeling of it being uh, a love fest on 24th street I noticed the people who I was who I was more open to and the ones who I was less open to and the traditional training of loving kindness we start with ourselves we first warm ourselves up through thinking of someone who's been very good to us in our life, who's been a benefactor, or someone who we have a lot of respect for, who's helped us spiritually, materially, offered great friendship. Then we move on to other, other uh, dear friends or beloved friends to, so that we warm up that feeling. Then we start sharing that goodwill and I urge, that, I urge you all to do this in the next week as part of your start planting the seed to find someone, as make sure you do yourself, you start with yourself, have that be the beginning of every time that you remember metta. Start with a few minutes with yourself. Move on to thinking of somebody who's really supported you in your life. Think of, an, of another beloved friend or another person and imagine yourself just showering that person with loving kindness wishing yourself may i have i've got some other some other let's see if i i'll just share the ones that i said before you can make up your own but Say to yourself, may I be happy, peaceful, safe, protected, healthy, strong. May I have ease of well-being, some version. And then as you include a benefactor, someone who's helped you, you say, as I want these things, may you have these. And you try to create an image or a felt experience of that person, and you start radiating toward that person. 
If you feel as though you've done that for a few moments, you feel that quality of goodwill toward that person, then bring to mind a beloved friend. If you've hung out with a friend a little bit, then I think the biggest stretch for us right now would be to include someone who we would traditionally call the neutral person. The neutral person is somebody who you see every single day, but you don't give them the time of day. You almost don't even notice them. Could be a, a store clerk, could be the, the um, it could be someone that you walk by on the street who goes, the, who walks on the same route to work, somebody who you ride the, who's on the Muni or who rides the elevator with you, whatever it is, someone who you see often who you ordinarily wouldn't give the time of day to. You start, you bring them into your mind, or if you actually see them, start sending loving kindness to them. This slowly expands your circle of affection. Then, I'm just giving you a sneak preview right now, then you bring someone to mind who you have a difficult time with. Sometimes called the difficult person, sometimes called the enemy. <laughs> and you, it may become obvious to you that your circle of affection it will, can include everyone but that person. <laughs> sometimes if you don't really have someone in your immediate orbit, you can think of some of the politicians, some of the radio personalities, some of the just whatever whatever per- person who you consider someone who it's very difficult to bring into your heart. And then we expand to include that person too. And we don't have to like that person. We don't have to like what they do. But we want to be able to expand our circle of caring to include them, to remember that that person, all the beings in our lives, are, are beings who draw breath, beings who were babies once, beings who want to be happy like you, who want to be free of suffering, beings whose actions of body, speech, and mind are governed by conditioning of greed, of hatred, of ignorance, who were made that way by causes and conditions, by circumstances, who are not completely uh, defined by their actions, but have within them, as you do, some actions that are wholesome, some that are unwholesome, that their whole being is not, uh, is not detestable, but you begin to open up that field of, of kindness to include even the difficult people. I have used uh, politicians over the years, because I don't have too many enemies in my immediate orbit, except myself sometime, and I've, ha- I've done a lot of loving-kindness toward myself, but I've used politicians a lot and realized it's, I've had more insights trying to put politicians, at least the ones that I don't agree with, into my circle of affection. And I've realized that everything, everything I don't like about certain politicians, certain characters, are... Uh, and I don't want to be too absolute about this, but often they are disowned parts of myself, things about myself that, that are part of the stream of my consciousness, but I don't, um, I don't often want to admit it. And so I, those things get lit up by that other person. 
And so it's, it's been very useful. And I could probably go down the list of all the things that I'd, I don't like about, no, I don't want to get into the political thing. But I have all those within myself. So finally, we expand the circle of loving kindness to include all beings everywhere. And I would recommend every day that you spend some time feeling, imagining, sensing that, um, that connection to all beings and feel that sense of radiating goodwill to everyone. How do you feel when you just hear the words loving kindness? How do you feel when you hear the words uh, goodwill, friendliness, widening our circle of affection? How do you feel when you hear the word selfish, self-absorbed, fixated, contracted, angry? I hate you. You should be different than the way you are. I should be different than the way I am. How do you feel when you hear these things? Some words have the impact of softening, some hardening, contracting. All of us, the whole trajectory of our meditative practice, our life practice, is to come out of the contracted, narrow vortex of self-preoccupation and ill will to the wider gravitational field of love. That's what it's all about. So anything that you can do, both in staying open and mindful and, and infusing, um, infusing your thoughts and your actions with goodwill, will help in that process of widening. We have a couple minutes left for any questions or comments. I know this is the kind of the shotgun version of Metta tonight. There's, this is really a... We could do this for weeks, but uh, I thought I would just take a few minutes of any comments or questions about loving kindness. Please. Could you uh, speak to the difference The difference between being kind and nice. Well, being nice is a. Um, well, tell me more about your question. And I don't want to just be a th- give a theoretical answer. You see niceness and kindness as very different, and niceness as being kind of judging? Coming from a judging place. Uh huh. It's not the same as metta. It's the shadow of kindness. It's interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I can really comment about that. I think you just did. Uh, but niceness, it really depends on the motivation for being nice. As with all, everything, everything hangs on the tip of what the motivation is. Is To be nice is to, is to make someone's life, to bring ease and well-being to a person's life. Is it, if, is it nice in order for somebody to like you, in order to feel safe? It's very innocent, but it's, it's very self, uh, it's self-preoccupied. So I think it's really about the about the motivation behind it. And kindness is usually, you know, real kindness is unconditional quality, so I don't, it doesn't, um, 
the motivation is usually just spontaneous and natural. But sometimes, as this, hopefully the, some of these words are pointing to, sometimes we have to remind ourselves of kindness uh, to connect again with that feeling and then to act in that way. So, Anyone else before we stop? Please. Yeah, the paradox of having uh, of loving all beings equally and having loved ones. Widening our circle of love, having uh, being in touch with universal loving kindness does not preclude us from having sentimental love. Having people because of our conditioning of liking more than others, of wanting to spend more time with some than others. It's it's just it's just natural. And we can't we can't uh, we can't marry all beings. We can't have children with all beings. We and the people who are closest, who are nearest to us, both in in geography and in relations, we tend to have partly because of history, partly because of uh, of many different things. We develop certain kinds of relationships, but those kinds of that kind of love can to a degree, have qualities of universal loving kindness, but also sentimental love often is called attached love, and it often is conditional. And, and often the way that we engage in, in relationships with our so-called loved ones is not really love, but it's more attachment. And so even in those relationships, we try to discern what's really love here and what's attachment. Attachment in the teachings is considered the near enemy of love. It disguises itself as love. So even in our closest relationships, we want to see, is this attached love or is this loving kindness? Again, that's a longer conversation, but thanks for the question. Last one, Noemi, and then... Word agape. Yeah. Give me a simple transi- trans translation of agape. Yeah, universal unconditional love. That is the direction, and we're all thank you, and the, and we're all works in progress. We are universal love, and we're also uh, we also fall into very conditional and attached love, and and we just we want to be open to all of it. Thank you. So thanks for listening, and and uh, before Andrea uh, shares a little, makes a few announcements. And I hope you'll stay while she shares a couple announcements. Uh, just want to as we do every week, like to have you consider, and as part of our practice of loving kindness, part of, our, um, part of expanding our circle of love, to consider that if there's been any fruit to our practice together, any benefits, any goodness, any, any blessings that have come from being together in this kind of California-style love-in, if there if there's have been any benefits, that we share it that we share it in our hearts and minds right now and radiate the blessings of our practice to all beings everywhere. Imagining anything here that 
was useful going in all directions, above, below, and all around, to all the beings of this world, beings who are being born in this world, beings who are dying, beings who are happy, those who are unhappy, those who are victims in this world, those who are invisible in this world, those who are perpetrators in this world, so that the blessings of our practice touch all beings everywhere without exception and punctuated with a deep wish that everyone can have happiness in their lives and the causes of happiness increasing. That everyone, without exception, can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering decreasing. That everyone can recognize that feast of existence, that can recognize the sacred happiness that is without sorrow here and now, and not look for any place other than this. And a deep wish that all beings can grow in serenity and equanimity, able to meet the joys and the sorrows with less grasping and less aversion, less contentiousness in this world. And a deep wish that our practice today, our hundred days of practice, our practice every day of our life be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings, including ourselves, but not limited to ourselves. So may all beings be free. few minutes of announcements. Thank you. Uh, just a couple of things. Next week is our monthly social event, that, which we like to call Mission Dharma Happiness Hour. And it's the day after thanks, or not Thanksgiving, Valentine's Day. And it will be a special post-Valentine's Day Happiness Hour. If you have any leftover uh, Valentine's Day candy, you can bring it, share it with your Sangha members. Uh, we... Yeah, and love. Lots of love. Um, we think that Desiree, the Chai, and Empanada Lady will be here, but we'll confirm that later in the Google group and the listserv. Um, so that's at 6.30 in the same sanctuary, sanctuary where we meet here. Um, and also we wanted to alleviate Howie from doing the weekly uh, Donna talk. And as our... As I was reflecting on this earlier today, um, I was thinking about Donna as not only a form of generosity, but also of of care, um, how Howie has given his life to ex- expressing care for other people, helping us to um, become more aware and alleviate suffering. Um, and also, in us being here, we're expressing care for ourselves and for others, and we can express care for Howie as well by... Um, by giving and allowing the Sangha to continue. So um, you can express your financial generosity and support in a few different ways. One is by putting money over on the organ bench. Uh, we also have a PayPal account on the Mission Dharma website, missiondharma.org. And uh, you can write a check to the church, to St. John the Evangelist Church, and that is tax deductible if you do that. So those three things, and um, thank you so much for your care and generosity. And finally, if we can have a few people help clean up, we'd really appreciate it. We push the chairs over towards the columns, um, clean up the cushions, take them to the back, and a few other things need to be done. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for your generosity. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Thanks for your practice.